from a cave out in space. A big warg to all of you listening. And here's part two with a longtime listener, first time in-studio guest, Stephen Yates. Stephen E. Yates, for those of you looking for books. Check the links and get those books. All right, back with more Stephen Yates. Stephen E. Yates. Stephen E. Yates. Yeah, Edward? There, I, no, you can Eli. get... Eli. No, the mm. English piano player... Inglebird? No, Glasses. Oh, I know who you're talking about. Um, Married to David Furnish. I don't know. He's uh, Elton John. Elton, damn yeah. it. Little known uh, musician. I didn't know the name of his husband. Oh, I'm sorry. Apologies. I feel like such a terrible Elton John <laughs> I'm, fan. I'm, I'm Stephen Elton Yates. And the reason when I write that I write under Stephen E. Yates is there are, are other Stephen Yateses out there. And one of them, God bless him, I don't know what his position is, but he's a, a political type of writer. Oh, yeah. And I thought, well, there, that, that means half the people in the world hate him and half the people in the world <laughs> love him. But I don't want to be, you know, uh, go down for his sins. So I'm Stephen E. Yates in my, my two books. So if you search on Amazon, just for instance, yeah. uh, Steve for Stephen E. Yates, you'd find Getting My First Hug, uh, perhaps, or Not That Anyone Asked My Two Books, and thus endeth the plug. I'll pass you the $5 bill right hey, now. Hey, no, 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 man. I mean, I'm bad at that. I'm genuinely bad at doing so – I, I think I talked about this recently where I take my – screen printed posters to shows and then afterward wonder like why didn't anyone buy these I'm like oh i never mentioned them i <laughs> forgot to mention that i even had anything to sell <laughs> yeah no one so, came yeah. up to ask specifically hey dave do you, do you have any i've got some extra money do you have anything every now people if they do will already have like money out and they show up and they go i'll take a poster and then as they're walking away they go did you do this i go yeah they go oh, okay and i'm like oh okay <laughs> I, boy, I, would have, I can't imagine how well I would have done if I had mentioned I, I had made that. But, you know, um, I have one of your posters. Oh, sweet. I, I, that I got at your show in New York City a couple of years back when we saw you. And, uh, and you were kind enough to autograph it for me. And, and in the autograph, it's got your, your name. And then underneath it says, Gold Circle! Exclamation point. Oh, dang it. <laughs> I was, and I treasure that. <laughs> Because I, I just, I love the, the little imperfections. It's, that's the stuff that, that makes life worth living. Yeah, but also, boy, I'd be better off not knowing that I had done that. Now i got to break into your house and <laughs> I did. out. Oh, no, I've taken pictures of it. I've already, uh, I will post it all over the internet. <laughs> that's funny. I, it does ring a little bell in the back of my mind where, like, afterward, maybe days later, I was like, Gee, Was it gold? Yeah, I don't think it was gold. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't seem <laughs> right. Give an environmental guy. And I would reference Green Circle all the time. Like anytime you had written, you were always a big fan of my yeah. award. All right. Well, now you've never had this. I have not. And and we we had this um, Alpine Truck Trail American IPA yep. or no American Pale Pale Ale. Pale Ale. Delightful. It was yep light, perfect crisp, for the temperature. Delicious. It's sunny oh, out. Perfect. 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 Yep. Uh, midday as we record this in the space cave. But now. I don't even know when the right type of day is to drink this. <laughs> this is like, this ain't your daddy's beer. This is heavy and dark and tastes like a candy bar, mm. um, but really is a treat. So I guess we'll, we'll top ourselves off. It's a Wonka beer, sounds like. Yeah, yeah, it really is. So give myself a little bit here, and then I'll allow you however much you'd like. All right, here, let's uh, make sure that people can hear. Oh, man, we're good Foley artists. Oh. We left off part one saying that uh, bad things happen in the world. Bad things do happen in the world. And then we kind of talked a bit about, and before we get into something that already you have mentioned might make you cry, uh, I'm sure having listened to the show, you've heard me ask people about the idea of a button that could um, 
Oh, maybe you haven't. Your face is, is uh, so this button is will. I thought uh, I listened carefully. Maybe I don't. So it'll eliminate humans from the planet. Everything else is fine. And you no one feels any pain and you go wherever you're going to go. But everyone goes all at once. And then the question is always, would you push that button? You strike me as a, no, I wouldn't push it kind of guy. I would not. Okay. I would not. But the anguish, the pain, the the heartache you feel when suffering a loss, which you just did recently, yep. a major one, yep. those are, to me, the things beyond just the well-being of the ecosystems and those big fluffy animals we like, the big kind animals, the animals that we think like, they wouldn't hurt anybody, <laughs> and they're being harmed at yep. an alarming rate. Yep. You feel like it's too much. Once is too much. It's the equivalent of like, to me, keeping rapists in all prisons or letting some trickle out. Mm. I would say mm. in all you go. Mm. And that's the equivalent of the button. Yep. All right. One person hurt those elephants. Yep. They all got to go. Yep. And anyway, uh, you wouldn't push the button. I wouldn't. But to me, there's, there's a, a mindset involved with that, which is you're kind of taking it on that that is life. You're going to have to hear those stories about things being harmed. You're going to have to feel and experience right. terrible loss yep. and grief. Yep. It, what gets you through? Your faith, but but what yeah, else? Yeah, I, I, I you know won't go won't go full uh, full, you know, full metal uh, orthodoxy on you here uh, <laughs> in terms of faith. Uh, but I am I'm an Orthodox Christian. I'm Greek Orthodox uh, by marriage, uh, and and it's very important to me. But as I was telling you, I try not to be a jerk about it when I talk to people. You never are, by the way. and I I don't proselytize. If someone asks me a question, as you've done, then I feel f- the floodgates are open, and here comes uh, uh, whatever. Um, but yeah, it, it's. Um, I know that that's a theme that you have, and I don't. Uh, I don't disagree that the thought is interesting and plausible of looking at humans as sort of a disease on the planet. You once upon a time, uh, you know, we had a, a pristine planet with no no people on it, and then man you came. You still potentially had dinosaurs ripping each other to shreds. Well, and tearing down trees and doing things that were not at all ecologically sound. And those farts. Oh, and oh. the yeah, and the poo. Come on, yeah, I mean, 30 listen, ton animal farting. Yeah, EPA is not writing them up and making them clean that up and restore green, you know, uh, wetlands somewhere. But I don't subscribe to that. Uh, I can see where you can say, oh, yeah, well, look at what man's done. And it's like a disease on the planet. And, and, and I certainly see that. But in my faith, uh, you know, we believe that uh, that love is will triumph. Mm-hmm. And uh, we believe that uh, th- these problems that we have are challenges for us and they're opportunities for us. It's it's sometimes very difficult, and and I uh, went to the home of some some friends of mine who had lost a, a, a child. They were very upset, as you can imagine. And I remember uh, that the, the, the man said, "I, I as he, through tears, I thank God that we had twenty years with our son. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm so grateful for." I and, went to a, so I lost what, a friend when I was around that age, and mm, at the funeral, that was what his father said, and right. it stuck with me a, a lot at right. the time. Of like, it, there's never a period where you can't be grateful, and sometimes it feels absurd. Something terrible happens to you; you lose your hand. Ah, at least I had that hand for as long as I did, but that's there; it's on the table. If you would like to choose that mindset, as opposed to "Why me? I didn't deserve this. Right. How that didn't happen to that person?" And right. that's I feel like much more common. Yeah, I, and and you know, uh, uh, again, I, I have I was, I was telling telling you before, I have a lot of friends who are atheists, and I God bless the atheists. Um, <laughs> I, I, Is that I, one of your favorite things to say? Yeah, I try not to say it too much because it's just so it's so right there, it's so spot on, uh, and and they don't appreciate it, so I apologize to all my friends. Uh, but but it's. Uh, it's it's one of those primary things, you know, death is coming for us all. And I was very fortunate that I lived to be 30 and I had all four of my grandparents still alive. And mm-hmm. so I knew them as an adult and they got to see me get married and they got to see some my, my children. And then as I lost them, you know, they're at the end of their life. Uh, they lived 80 years or more. And uh, you think, well, that's you've had a good run. You've done you've done what you sh- should do with a, with a life. Uh, but the uh, back in April, uh, my mother, who had been uh, suffering from dementia and was in uh, assisted living, had passed away. And uh, it, it was uh, even though we had been losing her a little at a time for a number of years, it was still very, very traumatic to get a phone call at five in the morning uh, with my uh, 
you know, from my sister. I remember looking at the phone, seeing her picture at five in the morning and saying, oh, this is not a good phone call coming. Yeah. Um, and then she told me that mom had passed. It just it just destroyed me, which was totally unexpected. I, I knew mom, you know, didn't have long and, uh, you know, she wasn't well. And so I, I was certainly praying for her to be at peace and at rest. Right. And I wasn't praying for her to die. But on the other hand, uh, uh, she had wanted, you know, even before the dementia, she had expressed, I wish I had gone when your father went. Mm-hmm. So it was very difficult. And when you get, you know, news like that, uh, it, it really just rocks your world. And I, and I was telling you, uh, I, I couldn't sleep, uh, couldn't go back to sleep. So I just sat down and started writing. Uh, because that's sort of what I do these days. And I, in about 20 minutes or so, I had, I had written something and put it away. Um, and then uh, a day or two later, my sisters were, were talking about the funeral and the uh, eulogy. And I said, well, you know, I had written something. And I, I pulled it out and, 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 and showed it around. And uh, my sister said, oh, that's, you know, this, is, this is good. This, you know, you, you, can you read this? And then I looked at it, and it was as if I hadn't seen it before. Uh, I, was, I was in such trauma when I wrote it that I almost didn't remember writing it. And it was you know, telling the story of my mother who, who lost her father to suicide at age five. Oof. Yeah. And so I really only in the last few years started putting, considering her life and, and what had happened to her, and then how did that impact me? Because I'm very much like my mother. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it's, it's tough, even though your logical mind tells you, you know, she's in a better place if you're, if you, if you're religious, uh, or she's not suffering anymore, even if you're not, or, or uh, you know, she's not, uh, uh, doesn't have much of a life uh, these days and it wasn't able to, to express herself very much. Uh, even all of those logical things don't take away any of the sting. Uh, there's, no, there's no way you can put a happy face on it other than ultimately if you're a faithful person and then you then you say she is in a better place yeah. and it's selfish of me to be uh, to, to miss her so much uh, she Isn't her, a weird her journey to, is continuing but I, I'm, that's one of those things that's not included in the stages of grief of like go ahead and beat yourself up feel selfish that you miss her that you feel bad yeah. I, I've always thought that was an odd one that like whether it's neuroscience and we have certain brain chemistry that just okay trigger that now and you feel it and whether it's the the recognition of our own mortality and that there's probably a a, a very personal side of seeing loss that like that could happen also the i miss them and they're not going to be around anymore right. and i've really taken that for granted even though we walk around with these tough exteriors where we tell ourselves well i got that pet and that pet has a lifespan of x amount of years right. i'll be fine i understand the conditions it's as if i've signed a contract and they get to the end of it and you're beside yourself this isn't fair. I can't, how am I going to continue with this? Right. They're not around anymore. All of that. I, I would see, I could see definitely, I guess, you know, sometimes on, uh, with faith, it seems to me that you would almost be able to bypass human emotion because you could, in a lot of ways, check off all those boxes and go, here, 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 better place thing, God has a plan. Da, da. But it's not, you're still a human. I, I absolutely that's true. I think even, uh, and I know a lot of priests, and and I think even uh, even somebody like that whose whole life is about the faith and living it and and you know reciting it and, and repeating it again and again and again, and it just you know is, is so much of who they are. They're human beings at the end of the day, and yeah. and you know to lose a child or lose a parent or lose a friend is always going to hurt. Mm-hmm. And I think that 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 it's a uh, that if you're faithful, that gives you a mechanism to process it. And to get through it, it's not magic. It doesn't. It's. It doesn't prevent you from from hurting a lot. Um, and even, you know, the first six weeks or so after mom passed, as religious as I may may be, you know, I found a lot of difficulty to just sit down and pray as I might normally do because everything was different. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, my my church was a, a great uh, source of, of strength. The people there just you know they rally around you. And even, you know, for, for people out there, when, when one of your friends loses somebody, uh, if you're like me, you think, I wish I had magic words to say to make my friend feel better. Yeah. But I don't. I usually and, just offer them the, the opportunity to yell at me if they would like. <laughs> if, you, if you have that impulse and you want to. <laughs> Pound on my chest and yeah, scream yeah, at me. Yeah, yeah, get it out of there. Uh, well, that, that's, that's something, and maybe they would take you up on it. But I, I think that, that what I th- – so many people – 
expressed condolences to me, and I was so touched by each and every one that I realized that what all of them were really saying is, I'm here. Yeah. You're not alone. I'm here. Mm-hmm. Here's, here's where it's going to get tough. No problem. This, this is kind of a first. I don't know if we've had a, a, such an emotional moment on this show before. Well, you know, and, and even going back to Professor Blastoff, when, when with TIG, I was, I was the guest when she revealed her diagnosis. And I was, I was crying, crying that time. But I, I cried quietly, so it was never official. Oh, yeah, because uh, you were on the phone. That's right. See, so you had no idea. But, uh, uh, but so if you, if you have a friend who's lost somebody, uh, you know, just tell them, you know, I'm so sorry. I'm, I'm, I hate to see you hurting. And I'm here. Mm-hmm. I'm here for you. Call me if you need me. And that may not seem like much, but that's everything. Someone just reached, and I know 10 years ago, maybe, or fewer, it it was that blurred line of, is a text insincere? And I think now we're at a point where like, nothing is insincere. Even just, I don't know what the, what is less than a, than a text, but <laughs> a text or something that's just, hey, thinking about you. Yeah. That's great. The person has no responsibility on the other end to respond to you. But nope. just that feeling of like, hey, buddy, I'm on your side. A little bit of my heart is now toward your heart. Right. And those little things feel good because even though we're surrounded by people and even though we know people love us and we give a lot of hugs, it never hurts to have that heaped on you and know that it's real and know that like this, this is... We weren't all just bullshitting so we could come to your barbecues. <laughs> We're here for these sort of things too. Right, right. Yeah, it's it's. We, you know, we love to celebrate the happy things, but we really need each other for the other things. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I, we we try to not talk about death, and we try to uh, you know put put it off and uf- use euphemisms and whatnot. But it's um, at the if if you're really friends with somebody. Uh, and, and it's interesting that since I lost my mom, a friend of mine lost a father, and, and a, one of my close friends at church lost her mother. And so she and I are like uh, commiserating uh, together. And I'm like a little further along in the grief stages than she is. And you know, even I, having going through the same thing, I can't, I can't, I don't have magic words for her either. Mm-hmm. But I just, I, I will tell her, you know, I'm here. You know, you can call me. I know you probably don't need me, but anytime you want to, you want to talk. Give me a call. When I would get texted, uh, oh, Steve, so sorry to hear, uh, you know, I would just, uh, because I have always uh, have diarrhea of the mouth and want to say too much, would, would control myself and just say, you know, thank you very much, David. Um, because, you know, message received. But inside, you're I, like, I'm your friend, too. There's a million things. Right. Yeah. And, and, and here's the crazy thing. I, I, uh, I listen to your podcast. I listen to, to some other podcasts. And... S- Occasionally, I reach out on Twitter uh, if I have a something I think is funny or whatever, mm-hmm. and uh, so I uh, I communicated with uh, Andy Kindler. You know Andy Kindler, yeah, yeah. And he's got a podcast with Josh uh, Elvis Weinstein. Very good, uh, a podcast. People should give it a try. And he sent me the most heartfelt email that I think I've ever gotten. Nice. And. You know, the, he's a very sweet guy unbelievably sweet and sincere and it's so funny because his comedy and his humor is so uh i can't put two co- coherent thoughts together is that funny uh, yeah, yeah. i'm gonna throw something against the wall is that funny and uh and yet i, I think he's com- completely hilarious but he just sent the nicest you know, uh, uh uh you know he said you know i've struggled with ocd i know it's not the same as what you're going through he goes uh uh, you know, I'm glad because I said that their podcast had helped just as your podcast. Uh, d- uh, just keep breathing from the theme music. <laughs> I found very inspiring at a time when I needed somebody to remind me to, to keep breathing. Uh, and, and he had said, uh, uh, he, I listened. This is Andy saying, I listened to the Mark Maron podcast and it helped me deal with my OCD. And, and the reason I started a podcast was because I ho- hoped to be able to help people mm-hmm. with whatever they're going through. So, uh, you know, just a lot of nice people come out of of the woodwork and it makes you feel less alone. What a, and I mean, you're in Connecticut. I've lived in LA the whole time we've, you've been familiar with me, I should say. And then I became familiar with you based through Twitter and or emails through a previous podcast. Right. But then now the, the relationship or the, whatever that tether is, 
is a little bit more, it's shorter and it's more realistic and on and on it goes. People yeah. that listen in China or wherever else, the planet. And I think of, I don't know how many times you've listened to people, every now and again I'll ask some of the physicists or some of the people that seem very, in, uh, and not that they're dogmatic at all, but they're very just like, I need to see it to know it. I'll mm. ask them what their thoughts are on God. Mm. More often than not, it's just they don't have time for it. They just feel like, well, when something presents itself, I'll kind of go through that data and then make up my mind. And I have to say, well, what do you think it is? And sometimes, the, you know, they, they very rarely have, like, it's a person who is looking right at you and pushing fingers around and moving things and slamming cars into you or out of your way, Puppeteer. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And But any of them and all of them are necessary and are useful. Everyone wants to have a quest where, like, I'm in this thing and I'm going through and my compatriots are with me and some of them are going to... But I think if you took the world and just took it to like a little disc that was as big as like a, a backyard and everyone's standing on it and it was just spinning and going through space in the same way that we are and the sunrise and sunsets would happen and people would get used to that. Yeah, okay. But as you, as you all huddle together initially and everyone just went, what is this? We're spinning around. We don't know where we are. We don't know what this is. It's so empty. And some people would disappear from the disc. Some people would jump off the disc. Some people would harm others on the disc and remove them. And slowly a community changes and evolves. And it almost feels like that. And then the disc grew into this big ball. And now we're all living on it kind of devoid of that thought, like removed so far from it that that's how it started. And that's really how it still is. Mm. We are all still wondering, like, who's with me? Who who cares? Who's who wants to know how we got on this disc? Why are we here? Who's in control of it? Do I matter? Why did that person leave? Where did they go when they did leave? On and on and on. And I, I think that your faith and anyone's faith, even if they have an absence of faith that is in itself something that heals them, goes with them, hmm. absolutely valuable. Oh, I agree. Yeah, I, I'm not one that feels everyone needs to believe like I do. Mm -hmm. I think it's important to, to believe in something. Mm -hmm. um, and, and even if you're, if you're a hardcore scientist, I think you, uh, you're, you're, you're dealing in the same realm as people that are religious are dealing with anyway. Yeah. Once you get to the, to the fringes and the borders, the, the extremes of man's knowledge, it all starts to sound a lot like theology. If you've taken a thermodynamics class, uh, once you get pretty deep into that, you get into, well, you know, entropy and, and other these, these concepts that are as religious as they are scientific. So, you know, I, I don't claim to have answers, but it, it does seem that a lot of times people who are religious and people who are not religious are beating around the same bush. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, uh, I, there's just a big part of me that hopes that there is something that something is seeing this, whether it's the fruits of their labor or an, an ink thing they spilled over accidentally or uh, they accidentally put some fish food in a bowl and it just took off or whatever it is. I hope someone goes, I did not see that coming. And or, yeah, it went exactly as I expected. I pressed enter and everything happened. And then you'd get to say, why'd you take this away from me? Why'd you do this? And they go, and whatever the reason would be. I think your faith, like whatever popped to the front of your brain at that point is different for everybody. You know, I, I, in, in my first book, uh, Getting My First Hug, about my son and, and, and his uh, uh, autism and, and dealing with the diagnosis and working, working through it, it th there was, you know, th there's a lot of temptation as you're going through something like that to become frustrated and say, you know, why me and why mm. is this, this happening? And now, looking back, that, that my son is uh, uh, graduated from college with two degrees and has a job and is, is doing wonderfully well... I can see now that the value in the struggles that we went through, and uh, you know, there are even cases of so, you know some of the saints thanking God for their persecution because mm -hmm. that made them stronger, it made their faith stronger. It's you know a lot of times people will say, "Well, yeah, I hated boot camp, but it turned me into a man," or or whatever. And I think that that um, faith can be like that in a different way, where it allows you to take the the greater world and sort of use it as a lens to see things see things in a in a in a different way that you can live with mm -hmm. and, and uh it doesn't make it doesn't remove all the sharp edges from life you, you still get knocked around uh and you still suffer but there's something else else for you there uh, again not trying to to convert anybody uh and and there are people that are perfectly happy without that yeah and you know again god bless <laughs> all of those people too uh 
and, and who knows what they'll find later on in their life. I was uh, raised religious. Then I had 20 years where I didn't set foot in a church. And then uh, you came once, back to it. And then once I came back with a vengeance, uh, <laughs> you know, a Sunday school teacher, and uh, I do uh, everything but wash windows at the church. So, uh, you know, late in life, sometimes uh, people have other ideas come to them. Interesting. The perse- persecution thing, always with the tenets of just a general sense of Christianity. Like I would, I remember in high school, this kid, I guess it was part of like an English class, but for whatever reason, I think he chose the Bible and the teacher sort of let him do it. Like, okay, yeah, mm-hmm. that's literature. Like a book report. If you're calling this, I think it was a work on fiction, but he was not treating it as such. And I think the rest of us had no idea how to look at it. Just like, but it's a fascinating story to sure. go in depth through the book uh, of Job. And I remember thinking, like, what a, what a weird thing. And as I get older now, people will reference, like, oh, I'm going through these things. And I feel like, but, but God already did that to someone. Like, God already tested their faith. Does right. everyone need to have it? Right. And then I said the saddest thought, which was, like, God's essentially wagering on Job with the devil. Does God have any, th- any friends? Does he have any other friends beyond the devil? Like, hey, man, what are you up to? Want to do some gambling again? That was fun. You know, I, that he do, doesn't have a lot of peers, according to my my particular faith. So yeah, it, may, it might be. It might. There's a. There's that. Maybe he needs. This seems so sad. That yeah, on Saturday night to, needs needs somebody to call. Yeah, yeah like meddling in people's. I'm gonna knock this car off a bridge just to entertain myself or something like that. That 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 seems too impetuous and. And again, sad. Like, I, you know, I, I want, I think everyone does, wants the person in charge of this, he, she, or a being that's Whatever too expansive for us to even really comprehend, to be so beyond what we can really fathom that, hey, get out of there. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. That's, that's, for, that's for Penny. She likes when the, the, the dog is doing stuff. And apologies for this leaf blower. I don't know how many times it's got to come back. You got him, man. You got the leaves. No, there's one more. It's, it's <laughs> stuck. He's going to get it. God forbid he should bend over and pick it up. <laughs> I don't know, man. I, I, I think all these concepts are, I mean, we think about them, but when they're fresh, when, they're, when you're really going through them, then, I mean, are, as you're processing it, as you're having a tough time, are you going through it over and over? And you, you almost have to make these channels and locks all fit to get back into like, Here's how to get back up and be positive. Here's how to charge back out into the world. Because really, I want to just lay here right. and think this is all mean. Right. The whole world is mean, and I keep pretending it's not and storming out into it like. And there's Hello. no point, and and yeah, there, there's no sense to any of it. Mm-hmm. I think there's when you're in, when you're in the depths of despair, you there's plenty to wallow in, mm-hmm. and uh, and I I did that for for a couple of weeks, but I think. That ultimately, the, the the human system, putting religion aside for a moment, I think that if you're that a healthy person, uh, eventually their mind just sort of reboots, and and regardless of what kind of trauma you've been through, uh, there's a there's a sort of morning after that that where your your brain says, well, we're not going to do this forever. Mm-hmm. You know, you've, you've, we've got to get on with things. And and as I was telling you earlier, you know. After I initially wrote my mom's eulogy, I, I couldn't write anything else because I thought, well, that's what I do these days is I write. So let me just put my mind to something and then I'll, I'll stop thinking these sad thoughts. Uh, and I just just nothing, nothing, nothing. And uh, uh, and then now, you know, a few few weeks later, I've started uh, I was talking with an old friend and we started talking about a story that we had uh, been kicking around for ages and i said you know what maybe it's maybe it's time to to write that and so i started in and i've just barely scratched the surface but i can feel the you know creative process is 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 coming back to life so you know it's tough and if people are going through loss uh you know there's no shortcut i think you know the only way around it is through it and to uh uh, you know, it's going to hurt. Cry your tears, and then uh, and then try to f- find somebody to be with. Don't be alone, and uh, and then you'll start to through your relationships lift yourself up out of it. Mm-hmm. And that's that's kind of where I'm at now. I feel like they're all so different too. Some that I thought would be just monumental or really taxing, mm. kind of passed over with like a. Huh. Yeah, I mean it is. You know, some of the some of the things check off. You're like, well, and don't you find occasionally 
someone that you don't know or barely know, uh, they'll pass away, maybe somebody in the public eye, uh, and it'll affect you way more than a similar person passing away. Yeah. You know, if it was, uh, you know, if Bob Hope passed away, it's nothing. But when Bing Crosby, oh my God, Bing Crosby, can you hear, you know. Yeah. Certain certain celebrities or certain certain well-known people, like Anthony Bourdain, mm-hmm. uh, just pa- having just passed away. I think people that that watched his show had a, re- had a real relationship with him because of the type of person that he was. And I, I'd watched it a few times. I wasn't a regular viewer, but that has real impact. Whereas sometimes, you know, somebody else that's in a similar, uh, you know, level of, of popularity or, or, or fame, uh, it won't have the impact. And I, I wonder why that is sometimes certain. <laughs> yeah. I think certain people touch us in a, in a way that's a little more uh, visceral than, than others. Yeah, I, th- I think we, going back to the human brain needing to sort and mm. organize mm. and establish a hierarchy, well, it goes this, you know, whether it's one of your, you know, the parents, then aunts and uncles, siblings, cousins, you go down the list in some variety of ways, like, then it should be my second cousin, and then the, then my best friend, and the, but in reality, yeah, you, you, I don't think you can ever tell. Someone no. passes away that is the closest to you, and maybe it's a prolonged thing where 10 years later you flip out and go, oh my God, I can't. But other times it might be, man, I David Bowie really bothered right. me. That that's, that would, you know, that, that's a perfect example. My I, my my son is uh, twenty five now, and he's super into music, and uh, all all different kinds. And you know, naturally, all of the the classic rockers are now in their seventies, and so they're starting to mm-hmm. not starting to they've they've already begun passing away, and so as. You know, here he is, a young man, discovers the music of somebody uh, uh, like Lemmy, and uh, oh wow, you know, so great, and I've oh, these are the different albums, and oh, isn't he great? And then he passes away, you know, so quickly uh, because he got kind of got in at the end uh, yeah. of, of, of Lemmy's career, uh, and then he's you know very very sad because he sees what a productive artistic person this was, and that that's gone now. And, Do you ever have done this where you get really into something or someone's work? And then you go Google it and find out they passed away, you know, sometimes it's like five years ago and you ah, yeah. no, yeah. and I, you just got into it. And, and that maybe is the best thing about art, creativity, offering something that it'll stay here. And even, if, I mean, Kafka, virtually unknown in a living career. Yep. And yet as a name that everyone now goes, I'm familiar. Was it right. the bug thing? The Kafka-esque. Yeah, Kafka-esque. It's such a term. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that... Uh, yeah, but so like I had a great aunt and even my grandmother to a certain degree, not overly emotional. Mm. I still find myself thinking about them, you know, having little sure. conversations almost with them oh, yeah. very frequently and like, and not as much with someone say like David Bowie. But at the time, and not that I burst into tears about David Bowie, but right. it was, it was a similar thing where like, oh, I thought it was just like, oh, David Bowie died. Okay. But it, you spin around, you drive around and go, why does it, that doesn't, how did, you know, why does this person keep living? Why right. does this absolute That's piece of shit keep living that's yep. it, it, so bothersome yep yeah, they, you're, you're, John Lennon's dead and hear this na- you insert the name that's of right. your the, the, your favorite schlock uh, music yeah. this guy lives on to at least Fred Phelps finally died <laughs> things like that you know, like, <laughs> those feel good like okay alright only the good die young but you know those bastards eventually <laughs> all kick off but, uh, it takes uh, it takes a long time for some of them but you know it's funny you say that, that you're talking about things that last and I got to the end of my engineering career and uh, I realized you know, I didn't build any bridges. I didn't build any skyscrapers. There's, you know, I pushed a lot of paper for close to 30 years. And it was useful paper pushing. And, and I, I like to think that I did some good. But I started thinking and I began, not really obsessing, but it really dawned on me. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to leave much of a mark. <laughs> and uh, and it's only sort of by coincidence that I began writing. And then once I published my first book, I said, oh, well, this this is out there in the universe. So somebody a million years from now could potentially find a copy of this. Yeah. And so there's a weird sort of intentionally manufactured immortality uh, in, in, a, in a, a strange way. I'm glad uh, you did it that way. It's a conversation I've had a little bit lately with – I've seen it now with friends of mine who are you know a little bit older but not – you know, they're, they've gotten on the track and own homes and have children and have had, by all accounts, a very successful endeavor in this thing called life. But there's something missing. And whether that's them, the need to buy a Porsche, 
people go, that's a midlife crisis. Like, not necessarily, but I think you need a, something substantial to show. Like, maybe if I do this thing, maybe if I, whatever it is, I got to go back or here, you know, whatever it is, it's something that it, I think it's that little voice that goes, eh, you're going to pass away and only these people will remember you. No one else. Maybe that's weird. You know, I, I, it's, I, I think that, that you're in a creative field. And so the work that you've done through the recordings that you've made, again, potentially last forever. It won't. Uh, well, okay. <laughs> I, I agree. It won't. Uh, and I'm totally just pl- fluffing you up here. Uh, but the, uh, I, I think that creative people have uh, an unusual drive uh, to, to create these things, put them out in the universe, whether people like them or hate them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think ultimately everybody sort of has that impulse, but life gets in the way. And the idea of, well, you got to get good grades, you can get a good school, and you got to get a good school so you can get a good job, you got to get a good job so you can make good money, so you can, uh, so you can support your family, yeah. and blah, 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 blah. And the next thing you know, you wake up one day and you're 58. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you say, well, I raised my family, that's not nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, nobody ever starved, everybody, we always had a roof over our head. Uh, but then you say, but isn't, you know, is this all there is? You know, shouldn't there be more than this? And, and what do I want to, you know, th- this mark that I want to make, you know, there's an exercise where you write your own obituary and you look at it and it's like, well, yeah, he pushed a lot of paper and, you know, managed to support his family. And it's like, wow, you know, I, I, there wasn't, what did he do for others? Oh, you know, sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he did, he did for his family, but what, mm-hmm. what about others? And so in the last, well, uh, once I kind of got off of the news and the politics and the last election, a little before that, I kind of bailed out just in time, maybe, uh, <laughs> and and started doing more volunteer work. And I know a lot of people have, rather than retreat into their into the the echo chamber of whatever party they happen to support, have said, you know, this isn't this isn't what I want to be a part of anymore. I think I'm just going to take some time and work for rescuing animals or uh, deliver meals on wheels to seniors or do these kinds of things. I know it may sound very elemental and very, you know, Pollyanna, but I think that there's that service to others is one of those things that, you know, some schools have a requirement now, the high schools, you know, for service. And I think that's just scratching the surface of what needs to be done because, uh, you know whether you're whether you're feeling well or if you're feeling down when you help someone else when you reach out to someone else and interact that's just all the endorphins all the the yeah. the, the, the good things start to come to you and and i i when i see people that are depressed they're always so far up their own you know yeah, what very insular very like what about me why doesn't this what about when's my yeah, and if you you know if you, say, well, you know down the street there's a soup kitchen and you know you could stand there and just ladle soup into bowls and people will will thank you and value you, and and a, there's a one of the stories in not any not that I asked not that anyone asked my book that I, whose title I can't remember is about how I became involved in my church and it wasn't intentional. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I I saw other people doing good and it's like well. I could do that. And so little by little, I started doing things until finally I looked up one day and people were like, oh, aren't you Charlie Church? And it's like, yeah, I guess I am. You do do a lot of stuff. It's like, hey, you you know, if you know where the church keeps their plastic forks, you're you're really involved, aren't you? It's like, yeah, yeah, I guess I am. Yeah, one of those moments that I... I will always remember. Uh, and I and like in college, I would go volunteer at this elementary school nearby. But that was kind of put together through a program. Sure. Th- that was much easier. But you still had to sign up. You still had to go do it. And But I loved it. And then when I was subbing, I could volunteer for like after school programs and stuff. And a friend of mine and I, kind of on our own volition, really more mine, honestly, because I didn't have the right vehicle to take us. So I sort of volunteered his. <laughs> like, okay. yeah, we'll I had a little pickup truck. I'm like, I can't fit all these kids but we had like three or four kids that just showed up every day and tried really hard and even if they didn't have homework they would like rake leaves and stuff and they're just really they needed somewhere to be and it just felt good to just say yeah do what you want play tetherball if you rake leaves whatever the hell you want and I just would look at them like how hard they were trying and knowing like their home situation this is at one of these schools where like kids were mandatory uniforms not because it was an upscale school but because some of the kids had such terrible clothing right. it was unfair to them to have to come to school in it right. and you could instantly recognize 
who didn't have money because they wouldn't wash the clothes. So they'd have a uniform, filthy. Right. And a lot of these kids there, like hanging out after school. And so finally, we like we had to petition the school that they had to go up the to like the superintendent to get this letter signed off. Like, yes, you can take these kids to a movie. And so my friend and I took them, and I still remember these kids going to Spider-Man 2, uh, running and jumping off stuff and shooting fake webbies out of their sure, hands. And yeah. just so psyched, sitting there, kicking their little legs in the seat and eating popcorn yeah. and like, just how good that felt. Like, this was such a minor thing to do. But that, even now, thinking about it, so many more endorphins and like the dopamine and all that than, wow, there's 500 people at this show or anything like that. Oh, I, I, it, it's, it's such a wonderful thing to do and it's right there every community has need Mm -hmm. i mean wealthy communities have people that are hungry everyone has their thoughts on yeah the homeless problem education for sure and just go be a part of it right and i'm saying that so hypocritically because i i've looked into it and i feel so weird now as like uh, it's just an older gentleman hey how can i hang out with kids (laughs) or how can i (laughs) well it was funny because i was i was talking to somebody else about that the other day and and i when I was younger, I thought to myself, man, I don't understand why anybody would coach Little League. I mean, who wants to hang around with a bunch of kids? Oh, my God. They're so annoying. They, they'd never shut up and on and on and on. And, and, but once I became involved in my, in my church and, uh, uh, you know, my priest came to me and said, you know, we have a, a need. This so-and-so is retiring and you know, we need a teacher for, for this class. Oh, well, if there's a need, then I'll, I'll do it. If there's, if there's nobody else. Yeah. And, you know, until you find somebody better, it'll be me. So yeah. that's forever. <laughs> and, and so little by little, I got, you know, it's like the mafia. Little by little, they suck you in. And so I started teaching Sunday school and I enjoyed that because I'm a morning person and most people aren't. Mm-hmm. And so I really enjoy torturing people in you know Sunday morning by being super awake and <laughs> hey, let's do this and hey, let's talk about your weekend and hey, let's see and the and the kids just look at me like, "Wow, what are you on?" because you should stop taking that. <laughs> well, I guess from from the outside, uh just you know, peripherally kind of knowing you or of you or you know, you're Usually very upbeat, upbeat, very positive, very sharing stuff through Twitter or wherever else. It's always, hey, way to go. Hey, this is great. Hey. And I just, there's something about that with, you know, hearing you deal with loss and struggle a little bit of the meaning of everything. Is it a coat that you put on or do you think it's in your DNA or is it a decision you made to like, this is what life is. It's how, it's what you make of it. You, you know, it, it's really funny because inside, I'm just the most horrible person you can possibly imagine. <laughs> what do you mean, like cynical and negative? I, well, I think I think of myself because every every person, you know, your own darkest, deepest secrets. Mm-hmm. You know everything that you've done in your life, good sure. things, bad, but especially bad things. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that if you're in a depressed state, that a at least myself, I would t- I tend to focus on all those things. And it's like, wow, they, remember that, that kid you didn't help? Remember that, you know, that woman that was going to cross the street and you, instead of stopping, you just zipped on ahead. Uh, you, know, you flipped her off and you threw that well, trash at her. And- yeah, there was that too, but I, I don't- Stephen, how I, dare you? I, I try not to think about those things. Uh, but but it, it's, um, you know, I, I think that, that part of it was the way I was raised. You know, mm-hmm. I, I was very blessed with two really great parents. Mm-hmm. And- you know the where and when I was brought up. Uh, I don't apologize for it. Was suburbia. It was mostly white. Uh, you know, I wish I had more diversity in my in my background, but I don't. My history is my history. I, I don't shy away from diversity now, uh, and I'm trying to backfill as much as I can. But my 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 family taught me how to approach life in sort of a positive way. And and I think that that generation having sort of, they were raised by the depression era people and they sort of caught a little bit of that. There was a, a gentility, uh, good manners, and, and a, you should be able to have a pleasant conversation with anyone. Mm-hmm. That was just sort of part of how we were raised. Yeah, And I, I think that that's, that sticks with you. And and so I, I feel for people that, that didn't have a good family you know, situation coming coming up. If they didn't have two parents, if they didn't, or if the parents weren't good parents, yeah. uh, I, I feel for them because it's that that's the advantage that I was really born with. You know, my family was poor to start with, or not poor, but we certainly weren't very wealthy. Rented home and so forth, and little by little, you know, dad through a lot of hard work, you know, brought himself up to where he wanted to be, and, that, and that's what he taught us was, you know. 
work hard for things, save your money. You know, when you, it feels so good when you save up and then you buy something. But what about attitude? Like how did he, you know, was he downtrodden from like, how many kids did he have at this point? We had, there were three of us. Three of us and he's uh, in a rented home, like going off to work long hours, really putting in his time, probably getting shit on by a boss from here and there. And then just persevering well it's it's you know family lore you know when he uh, he's both my parents are from a small town called slidell louisiana and uh, when he got his first job uh, he was sent to escobas texas which is uh if you know where the roadrunner lives this is not as nice as that um but it's down on the texas mexico border and the family lore has you know him calling his parents crying saying what'll i do they've sent me to the worst place on earth yeah and I, I I got I got no choices, and they basically said, you know, hang in there, suck it up, and uh, you know, better times are coming. Mm-hmm. And he did, and better times came. Uh, Think of the South, and weird that he was in Texas. A lot of times, isn't the, the rest of the South kind of goes? Eh, yeah, it's eh. the South, but it's also the West. It's yeah, it's also it's a the things that now we no one sits around anymore with like someone blowing in a jug and someone picking <laughs> a guitar and someone being on a banjo, but that. They don't? I, I don't think they sit around as a whole family. Like everyone gets Oh, no, around. family. Oh, no, no, no. But that, you know, the, all the songs back then were a lot of, you know, just, hey, do your best, be happy, you know, look yeah. on the bright side. Yeah. And I think, and maybe this is going back to what we were talking about earlier, maybe this is just a little too Pollyanna-ish, but I think music then in that sort of, hey, we got it tough, trans, uh, it, you know, it, it kind of moved through all, all of the South. So yeah. I think like poor black families and poor white families, families shared music in that way. Oh, shared yeah. like, hey, we we play that song. You guys play in and a little bit more sharing that way of like, this is what it's like to gather around and have nothing but sing a song and look in each other's eyes and be like, we got each other. And, and that's not too bad. Right. And that, I don't know. It just, it seems like it's still there. It, it seems like you meet people, but it seems so foreign. Everyone now is so depressed and so like... Uh, what is the meaning of any of it? Why are we doing this? And maybe it's because everything is so present. You can see everything. You can see the rest of life at any given time. Whereas back then, if you had to walk down a road all the way, you had a little more time by yourself just to think about things. And I don't know. There's uh, on on Netflix, uh, I saw a, a documentary about uh, the nation of Bhutan. And Bhutan is up near in the Himalayas, uh, near Nepal. Not a very wealthy country, but they've you know they got some natural resources. And their government, rather than trying to make the country as rich as possible, decided that they wanted to make the country as happy as possible. I love that. And uh, you know, gross national happiness. <laughs> and uh, you can look for it on Netflix. I think if you search for happiness, such a it'll, weird it'll, thing it'll for this come like patrol group to come by. Like you, what are you doing there? I'm just sitting here. Put a smile on yep. that face. <laughs> exactly. I want to hear a giggle out of you. <laughs> All right. Tell them the joke. Tell them the joke. <laughs> and uh, but it's, it's such a, a great concept. And the other the other uh, documentary I saw at a similar time was about uh, a fellow who had like. 50 possessions and he could put them on a table and he basically backpacked around the world and uh, and uh, was kind of spreading the gospel of own less mm-hmm. and when i retired and uh, w- my wife and i uh, downsized significantly and w- while I'd, i have more than 50 possessions when you when you kind of get off of that sort of collect, uh, accumulate uh, 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 treadmill that a lot of folks in our Western society are on and kind of get rid of all that stuff. And and then you, I think that is what encourages people to focus on other people. Mm-hmm. Because if you've got a lot of things, uh, you know, Karl Marx said, the more you own, the more you are owned. And uh, while I don't agree with everything he said, I do agree with that. Because the more stuff you have, the more stuff you have to keep track of. Who wrote, um, I keep thinking Ginsburg, but it's not the, um, Kerouac. If you own a rug, you own too much. (laughs) (laughs) I'm trying to think if I own a rug. I probably do. I I could use one on top of my head, I think. (laughs) When I first started doing comedy, I bought this little, or I should say on the road, and I suddenly had like a bunch of weeks out ahead of me and like, you know, sometimes you'd get a gig here and there when you're just starting, but like, hey, hey now, this is like three months of steady work bought a little station wagon car and I put some stuff in a friend of mine's garage and I packed whatever I could in a suitcase. And I, part of that was my scanner because I was drawing comics a lot at the time. And my dog had a place in the back where he could ride along with me and I'd just traverse around the United States. How happy were you? 
not the greatest. No, but looking back on it, uh, pretty happy. Okay. And at times during it, the best. Yeah. But there were there were moments of it where I just thought like standard human things. I think we're always. I think that's how you can tell you're living a good life is if you miss parts of it. Because in the present, you're probably like, oh, I could have this and this. But then you look back and you're like, remember how great that was? And you don't remember the things you didn't have. You that's just right. remember like, oh, we had that little thing. Or yep. we used to do this. And so that's how I feel about that period. But like, I, I would imagine if you could go into my brain at the time and you'd be like, why aren't you happier? Like, <laughs> well, because I, you know, I was, I was at that space of like young comedians where like someone else got this thing. So, you know, a thing I very much had to kind of pull myself out of like, has nothing to do with me. Right. Um, but it's also an acceptance of like rejection, that kind of thing. It's not just comedians though. Uh, comedians, I think, have it very hard as I, as I have a few friends that are in that business because the rejection's just right there. I mean, it's just immediate, <laughs> yeah. immediate feedback. Yeah. Uh, uh, but it, it, I think everybody's got that to some extent though of, you know, I remember in my first entry, my first job, my first real engineering job, another guy started about the same time I did and you know, within six months, he had been, you know, he was on like an executive path. Yeah. And of course, you know, it was like, well, how did his father, you know, works for the company? How did he get that? And, yeah. And I was like, well, this system's rigged. What's what's going on here? And, <laughs> and I remember being, you know, really upset about it. And, uh, and then I kind of reeled it back in and said, well, you know, y- you can do whatever you want to do tomorrow. If you want to come in and work twice as many hours and brown nose or maybe not maybe it's not negative maybe you just think of new concepts for the company and start putting in lots of time you know i don't know what he did but the jealousy is is part of it and then you you don't control your own destiny mm-hmm. you know there's there none of us do yeah and so uh particularly in a field like like being a comedian th- th- there's so much travel there's so much hard work there's, you really it's a lot of solitary uh, you know, oh, I, yeah. I was I was blessed with a you know a beautiful wife and and uh, the growing family there for a, for a while, and the support that I got. I mean, my dad. I, I don't remember him ever waking up in the morning saying, "I don't think I can do this today." <laughs> uh, in fact, my mother used to say, "Your father gets up every day and goes to work. You can get up every day and go to school." <laughs> That's why it blew my mind when when my son would say, "I don't feel like going to school," and my wife would say, "Yeah, why don't you take a day off?" He's like, whoa! Where were you when I was a kid? But uh, but it, it, you know, so that that sort of uh, support group helped. But a career like that, and there are other careers that are like that. It's very solitary, and it requires a very strong person and the passion to get up in front of strangers and tell jokes. Is, oh, it was so weird. I is, mean, I'd go stay with friends a lot, and I slept on a lot of couches, a lot of guest rooms, things like that. And uh, but people are starting to own things like homes, or even just owning, you know a couch a nice couch like ooh sweet and uh having families and things where like when well, then you leave and kind of trudge out into the openness of like well i get to be here when i want to they're having a wedding i can show up i have all those freedoms i don't have a schedule or bosses i can move around this club date if i want to and that was really great i could join my friends when they were doing things and i had a lot of night skies to look at a lot of stars but, you know, you're doing that all alone. Like, what is this for? Why am I Why am I doing this? And part of it maybe is maybe early on you romanticized it. But anything you, I think, romanticize, whether that's being a musician, a writer, an artist, a painter, a whatever, you think of four things or something. You're like, oh, I'm a writer, so I'm, I got a little shack that I write in. But then when you really get into writing, you're like, oh, no, it means like going here and opening a laptop or doing these things that take a while to get used to. And that is writing to me. It's not the same as it used to be. Comedy's the same way. Like you think of it as, oh, I saw this documentary about this person and boy, that's sweet. But then you get to places where the crowds hate you or the hotel's terrible or it just wasn't fun to drive there. The weather was bad or on and on and on. All those thoughts start to compound of like, it's nice to have a quest in life. It's nice to have, I'm going to go here. I'm going to be the best architect in the world. Or I'm going to be, but I think when you get there, you probably, that guy that took the path, whether it's nepotism or whatever, got to the top and went like, what the hell have I done? I just have a bunch of money. Does that, is that it? Is that the thing? I, I think you're right. And, and again, I hate to keep coming back to age, but I think once you've, you've, you've worked long enough that you can put a little bit of money in the bank maybe and you say okay now i have time to you know it's not i'm not going to lose my house tomorrow i have a little time to to take a breath and look around and see what do i want to do with the rest of my life and again coming back to where we started especially if you're uh 
your parents are gone, mm-hmm. you realize, okay, now the clock's, I'm on the clock. Yeah. Uh, how much time do I have left? What do I want to do with that time? That That's uh, a tremendous power and freedom mm-hmm. to be able to make that decision. And it's also a tremendous burden and a uh, thing that makes you scared, whatever, <laughs> whatever the word is for things that make you scared. Um, Who's done it the best? Li- just life in, in f- throughout human recorded history. And you can't say Jesus. How about Steve Martin? Really? Ooh, that's up there for me as well. Mu- uh, tremendous musician. Yeah. Funniest guy ever. Name somebody who doesn't like him. I was just going to say that. All comedians will have a thing. Kevin Hart sold out Eagle Stadium. Number of comedians that would have something negative. Andrew Dice Clay was his own demise. Sure. You go on and on. Everyone yep. that sold yep. out Madison Square Garden is kind of the benchmark of, and then what? And then how did their career go from that? A lot of people tumbled right down. A lot of people were not, you can't even think of their names right now. Steve Martin, not only jumps to mind immediately, but his album won a Grammy and it was the biggest thing in the world for a period, and everyone still likes him, and he seems humble still. Yeah, art collector. Mm-hmm. I mean, I saw the thing. I mean, you saw the Martin Short, the thing on I Netflix. Watched it, yeah. Oh, it's so good. It's so fun. My, I watched it with my family. That's mm-hmm. a rare thing that you can sit down and, and everybody laugh their butts off. It was so great. But uh, <laughs> yeah, and, and and Steve, the one the thing I love about Steve Martin is he got to the, the as high as he could get as a comedian, and then just said, "All right, I think I checked that box." I'm going to go do something else. Didn't make an announcement. Didn't tell anybody. Just got on with his life. Yeah. And that's to me is just so classy to say, I'm, you know, not that anybody that has, I mean, I had a retirement party, so I'm not a horrible person, but, uh, uh, but just for somebody just to say, yeah, I'm, I'm completely comfortable doing, you know, turning my back and going on to just do something else. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's what makes him so successful. Is But is that it? I mean, I think I there's know. more to it than just well, the success. It, once you, if you read his book, Born Standing Up, which I don't know if oh, you... Oh, I've read it. Okay, yeah. I figured you had. Because you know he had a father that never gave him the time of day. Mm-hmm. And so he was always trying to you know love me daddy. He was yeah. always trying to get, to get to that. And so, yeah, something I think drives... drives and again, it's, you know, the... the the difference between you and me is you'll go stand in front of a bunch of, of, of strangers, talk to them for half an hour, and even if they don't give you any love back at all, you'll do it again the next night. <laughs> yeah. And after two minutes of that, I will you know give them all the finger, cry, and, and walk off the stage and then start <laughs> drinking probably. Uh, so uh, you know, it's, it's, there's a, everybody's got different tool set. And your, your tool set, and I think that most comedians – Toolset has this tremendous passion to do this thing. And so finding the thing that you've got the passion for is really, and I'm giving all, all the listeners this now, the secret of life. Because I told my kids, you have, you have two choices. You can do what I did, which is go do what you're good at. I was good at science and math. I became an engineer. I did it for 30 years. I was pretty decent at it. I was okay. But I, I never loved it. Mm-hmm. And it, the, as I got closer and closer to the end of my career, I was counting down the days. I don't want to have to do this shit anymore. Excuse wow. me, pardon my language. Which, if you're passionate about something, you spend a lot of it going. I hope I get to do this. More. Right, right, exactly. And so once I started writing, then I realized, oh, this is what it feels like to do something that you're really, really passionate about. Mm-hmm. I can't. I'm not going to stop because this, you know they're calling my wife's calling me for dinner because I'm so into what I'm doing right this minute. Mm-hmm. And so I've I I told both my children, if you can, always pursue that passion and don't worry about the money. You'll you know you can get by on a lot less than you think and you'll be fine. My grandmother, who I spoke of a little bit ago, the traditional life. There's a story where my, my hair is pretty long right now. My, uh, my uncle showed up from having been away. I didn't want to say anything. (laughs) And she opened the door and saw he had long hair and said some sort of profanity and slammed the door. (laughs) She had to like compose herself. I love her already. Uh, She's just so like fifties ish, you know, like tuck in that shirt, comb that hair, look, make eye contact, handshake. Everything in life had to be very, this is how it's supposed to be. Yep. And then as we got older, my sister wanted to travel and she was the biggest champion of that. Like, go do it. Just go do it. And when I was graduating from college, uh, people were like, what are you going to do now? And before I could answer, and I had, it had been brewing. Like I had wanted to try comedy forever, but I just was nervous and I, right. I'm not great at speaking in front of people. And my grandmother before anyone was like, I still think you should be a comedian. And was like the first one to kind of pull me aside and like, yeah, whatever you want to do, go do it. And I think it's because of... Luckily, you 
recognize that prior to it being maybe too late or some of those horrendous terms that maybe. suddenly exist yeah. of like, yeah. I think my grandmother was one of those people that was like, just staring into the abyss going, I'd have done it differently. It was just such a sad thought. And so to turn around to people behind you and be like, hey, hey, whatever it is, go do it. Go do that thing because you're going to be here pretty soon. Well before you think you are, you might as well have tried the thing you're going to try. It's it's so important. And, you know, I, I mentioned that sort of consider your, your future obituary. I think that's a tremendously useful exercise because it really, for me, uh, you know, it's like, okay, I took care of the family stuff. And then it's like, well, what about, you know, this, what about the stuff for me? It's like, yeah, I have things I do for fun, but what about, you know, because when you're a child or when you're, you know, much younger, you think, yeah, yeah, I'm going to become a chemical engineer and maybe I'll work for a pharmaceutical company and maybe I'll be the guy who cures cancer. Yeah. Or, you know, I'll find the, the fuel that, you know, one drop powers a car for 10 years or whatever it is. And then as, you know, once the practicality of life hits and it's like, well, I graduated from college, now I need a job. I'm going to take any job I can find. (laughs) And I did that for basically 30 years, just hips, you know, one sinking ship to the next, which is in my book. Not that anyone asked. But uh, guys, get that book, please. Just shut him up. Uh, uh, (laughs) But, you know, that was I, I, I like to say that that. Uh, calling my to say that I had a checkered career is an insult to the word career <laughs> and also to the game of checkers. <laughs> oh, Thanks man. for letting me get that one out. I've had it uh, in a can for about six months. No, oh, glad you glad this was the place to do it. Whew, well, absolutely. We've, we've completed another segment. I don't, we still have a little beer left. I don't know if you want to do a little bonus time or if you've had enough. But, I, uh, uh, I'll go for uh, we'll we'll go for a short overtime period, perhaps. Okay, so. Not that anyone asked, Stephen E. Yates, the other one, my, getting my first hug. Thanks for dropping by, being here in Los Angeles, in the space cave at large. This is my pleasure. It's a dream come true. It's a real candy beer, that uh, peanut butter milk stout. If you haven't tried it, I suggest it. It's, it's different, if nothing else, and uh, probably not something on a hot day you want to drink two or three of, but um, I don't know what the ideal time is. Chilly day, I suppose. So that maybe that's a ways off, but depending on when you're listening, who knows? Uh, but thanks again to Steven, genuinely nice guy. I hope you were able to gather something out of that that was hopefully, um, I don't want to say impactful, but you know, sometimes you overhear a conversation, you take little nuggets from it and you're like, I'm going to apply that to my life to a certain degree or think about things in that way. I think Steven had a lot of that, a lot of things to, to process, a lot going on. And I guess it never stops. As you just, you like to think that as you get older, you'll just be like, ha, ah, got it. Spent all those years figuring it out. Now I just put on my cardigan and I go rake the garden, stare into the distance. But uh, it sounds like from every account of every person older than me that I've ever spoken with, that's just not the case. And Steve, I mean, you wouldn't guess Stephen is older than anybody. Really looks like a toddler. 58, my God, he looks 14. Look like a little kid. It's really um, aging quite gracefully. Uh, and you can listen to more of that chat in the Patreon if you're so inclined. Thanks to those of you who do support the show that way. The rest of you, thanks for supporting the show however you do. Paul recently bought some screen prints for the show. Those are coming your way soon. Um, I've been out of town and stuff like that. So I will get those out ASAP. But thanks to those of you who do support the show in any way. Yeah, you can go to the spacecave.com. You can not only click on the email link there, pings at the Space Cave, and send ideas for guests or beer or music or topics, but you can also buy screen-printed things that are specific just to the Space Cave, so you can walk around with a tote bag or a t-shirt or a poster. I guess you don't want to really walk around with a poster, but you can uh, inform people that you're involved with a very specific, very niche sort of podcast and it feels nice to be all tucked in here together the cozy confines of deep space and and yeah the, the patreon people thank you guys thanks to dan for putting the show together thanks to rob for the theme music and the junk shows coming back july 8th so you get back from the 4th of july and want something to do that sunday something mellow come see some variety in los angeles at the copper still um, no stand-up dates on the books as of now, but maybe I'll start adding some. I don't know what's going on there, but I will figure it out. Anyway, 
thanks for listening and thanks for supporting the show and thanks for being nice people out there in the world see someone needs a hand with something maybe you give it to them and then just know that i thought it was a good move on your part um andy sent this over a while ago and i just now i'm getting around to it. we had a hot streak of dan with some suggestions he was on a roll some other people chimed in with suggestions for music there were bands that uh, I wanted to promote ahead of maybe shows or something like that. I don't know, but this one kind of got pushed off a little bit. But it's fantastic. He emailed and said, hey, my, friends think, my friend thinks this sounds a bit by, like Pinback. And as you know, Rob, who did the theme song for this podcast, um, is a big part of Pinback. So, and he was like, I don't think it does sound like them, but I'll let you be the judge. I don't either. But I, th- I can see where his friend might be thinking, oh, it's just melodic and nice and pretty, and I like it. But I don't. Th- it w- if I heard it without that suggestion, I don't think there's any part of me that would go, oh, this definitely was influenced by that. Or, not at all. But I do like it a lot. This is from Krestovsky. It's called Animals Hide. Thanks for stopping by the Space Cave. Yeah, we're